Jackson. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. Wisco Sports Show at 96.7 FM, 580 AM. Streaming live at WKTYsports.com. However you're listening, wherever you're listening, hope you're having a great Thursday. Thanks for coming along, making my show a part of your Thursday evening. I am your host, Grant Bills. I, and, and we have a packed show today. Sometimes I'm concerned that I'm that I'm not going to have enough good stuff to talk about. You know, I can get on here and say, well, you know, I, I think the Packers are going to beat the Rams this weekend. You know, we'll see how they run the ball. You know, I, I can ramble on. I, I, sometimes I'm concerned about, can I get good stuff? Can I get good, um, valuable content that's just not me rambling about a team? And, and today, we got it. We got some good stuff today. I'm really excited, including Zach Heilprin uh, from The Zone in Madison, the sports director at our sister station uh, over in the the state's capital. And we're going to talk a little bit, a little bit of Brewers to start because he was traveling with the team. He was um, covering the team and he was at all those games. So I do want to ask him about that briefly. But we're also mostly going to talk to him about Badgers. It's been a while since we've had a check in with the Badgers. And, and like I said the other day, it's kind of hard to stay locked into this team right now. And now that the Brewers season is over and that madness isn't continuing, it's a little bit easier and we can start to focus on this Badger team once again, as they play Northwestern this weekend uh, after uh, getting back on track against a subpar opponent in Illinois last week. So we'll get to talk to him coming up at about 5.30. In terms of Packers talk, we got a lot of good stuff coming up as well. Rob Domovsky, a beat writer for the Packers, released a fascinating article and a really insightful article. Uh, I believe it was yesterday or possibly late on Tuesday night, breaking down the last couple years of Ted Thompson's drafts. Which, if you follow along and if you follow the Packers closely, you know that, well, they weren't very good. And he broke down exactly what the impact of those couple of years are on this Packers team now and on this Packers team moving forward. Really insightful, did a lot of good research, and we're going to talk about that uh, coming up at about quarter after the hour. We'll also preview the Packers, talk about the spread, and hear what Mike McCarthy had to say about them being an underdog. You're not going to want to miss it. It's pretty darn funny. Uh, but there is uh, there is something I want to start with today. And, and if you watch Scott Van Pelt on SportsCenter, he's typically on late at night. I don't see him very often unless I'm watching a game on ESPN and I'm too lazy to get off the couch and actually go to bed and, and you know, SVP comes on. All right, I'll watch a couple of minutes. He always starts his show with the best thing that I saw today or the best thing that I saw today, right? Uh, last night, it was not close. You guys, I, if you're a basketball fan, if you're a sports fan, don't tell me you hate the NBA because the NBA's first couple of weeks here, the first two weeks or so, uh, I guess it hasn't even been that long, have been fantastic. Last night we had Steph Curry scoring 51 in 30 minutes in, in only three quarters, hitting bombs from the logo. I mean, it was fantastic. It was phenomenal and it was really entertaining to watch. So I was watching a little bit of that, and then of course I was watching the Bucks game. Which, look, if you're trying to get into the Bucks, if you haven't been watching the Bucks and you think, wow, they seem like an exciting team, now's a great time to start. Do it. Pull the trigger. Let's go. Be a Milwaukee Bucks fan because there's never been a more exciting time with the new stadium. And Giannis is obviously one of the most, I mean, he, he's fascinating and he's so much fun to watch. And he scored his first triple-double of the year last night, um, including 30 points, almost 20 rebounds, and of course, obviously, 10 assists. We might see a 30-20-10 game from Giannis this year. I don't even think he's found his stride in Coach Budenholzer's offense, and, and Coach Bud has been doing some some really fascinating and good things. So I hope to sprinkle in some Bucks talk here and there throughout the season. But if you're not watching the Bucks. And you're looking to get into them, just just start. Just sit down and watch a game. Maybe not even a whole game. Sit down and watch a half. Sit down and watch a quarter because you're missing out. If you're a sports fan, and, and I get this all the time, especially from uh, from some of my friends who say that they're huge basketball fans, but they hate the NBA. Can't watch the NBA. 
I don't buy into that. And, and I think if you're a basketball fan, don't accept that. It's a lazy approach because it's the best basketball players in the world, the best coaches in the world, the best teams in the world, and, and they're playing. We have games every night to watch for the, until next June. And, and it's just really compelling. Not every game is going to be amazing. But circle some games on your calendar. Circle the big matchups and then try to watch a couple of these Bucks games because they are fantastic. And Giannis is so fun to watch. I've never seen a player like him. In college, in the pros, I've never seen a player like him. So if you haven't been watching, let's go. Come on, start watching. And you can always hear the Bucks action, of course, here on WKTY as well. Um, unfortunately, we can't stream those. But you can always tune in on the old dial, 580 AM, 96.7 FM. And you can hear the Milwaukee Bucks and Ted Davis on the call uh, constantly throughout the season. 608-796-2558, the five-star telecom talking text line. If you want to get involved in any point, or at, at any point in the show, I should say, you can do it there. You can also tweet at me, at Keystroker Grant. Uh, and at the station at WKTY. Some of you who follow me, I'm sure, saw that I retweeted the Rob Domofsky piece that we're going to get into here in about five or six minutes because it is fascinating and it's really well done. Uh, ESPN's uh, coverage of teams, by the way, it doesn't cost you anything. You can go read all of Rob Domofsky's work because ESPN doesn't charge you, uh, except for their insider pieces here and there, but for the most part, their mainstream coverage of the Packers is free. You don't have to subscribe like you do to The Athletic or to PackersNews.com. It's right there for the taking. So if you haven't already, go check out that article, but we're going to talk about it here coming up in a couple of minutes. I do have some highlights I wanted to play. Giannis was just unhinged last night. Um, uh, the Packers, or excuse me, the Bucks get the win 123-108. to 108. And, uh, well, and they, they started slow, and I said, oh, maybe it's not their night. Maybe they're finally going to get their first loss of the season. Uh, nope, <laughs> I was wrong because they just started bringing in the buckets, and Coach Budenholzer's got this offense rolling, including this thunderous dunk in the new Pfizer forum from Giannis Antetokounmpo. Check it out. That's three straight for Lopez, and here comes Showtime. Antetokounmpo with the hammer. Imagine being seven feet tall with arms that span like seven and a half feet wide and just being able to run full speed down a basketball court and windmill a ball right through the hoop. I, I don't think I could I can wrap my mind around how physically dominant and how massive some of these guys are. So that was just two points of of a 30-plus point night for Giannis and Tedekumpo, including a triple-double. And for those of you who are watching or maybe you saw the highlights today, Giannis's final pass, uh, final assist, I should say, that got him over the hump and got him to 10 assists into double digits was uh, it, it was kind of lucky. He, he's crashing through the paint, maybe a little bit out of control. He gets caught up in the air, and he just kind of pitches the ball behind his head to Tony Snell, who was positioned well in the corner. If you were paying attention to the Bucks' practices and, and some of their uh, their scrimmages, Coach Budenholzer and the staff painting, or not painting, but taping squares in the corner, wanting to get those players, forcing them, get all the way into the corner. Don't get lazy and stop on the wing. Get all the way down there. And make the shot as easy as possible. Tony Snell was all the way down there. Here's the call of Giannis's final assist that put him over the edge for the triple double. Then Akumbo with the size on Reddick threw it behind his head to Snell, who hits the three, and there's the triple double for Giannis Adetokounmpo. And it was pretty, it was pretty awesome last night as a Bucks fan, as somebody who watches most of the games. And I don't expect everybody to watch 82 NBA games throughout the year uh, of the Milwaukee Bucks. But last night was a good one. It was on primetime television. It was the late game on ESPN, which I don't understand because it was an East, an East Coast game, or uh, I should say a Midwest, a Central Time Zone game. I don't know why you'd have that start at 9:30. But it did, and uh, it was it was fan it was fantastic, great game. But from two of the Eastern Conference's best, and, and Giannis showed out. Chris Middleton obviously playing well too, and and it was great to see the Bucks get it done on a national stage. And by the way, the announcer is finally starting to come and come around and be able to pronounce Giannis Antetokounmpo. It's not that hard. It, it really isn't. Um, and for for guys like Kevin Harlan 
and uh, uh, who's his name is escaping me right now. Um, anyways, the bang, you know that that guy. <laughs> I can't remember the man on Marv Albert and, and Mike Breen, a couple other announcers. As that now they start to come to me, they really struggle saying Antetokounmpo. It's really not that hard once you just do it a couple of times. It's really not. So uh, so if you hear an announcer mispronounce Antetokounmpo, just just say it's it's really not that hard. You're just you must just not be trying. Uh, although it is harder than Jesus Aguilar, which apparently gives announcers issues to uh, thinking of. Uh, uh, excuse me, Christina Aguilera. Christina Aguilera. I almost said Jesus Aguilera. Look, at maybe it is harder than I thought. Uh, coming up later, remember, we're going to talk to Zach Heilprin at half after the hour about the Brewers and the Badgers, mostly Badgers, but I do want to get his thoughts on the Brewers as well as we kind of put a capstone on this season and now start to transition our talk to next season and to the offseason and maybe what this Brewers team holds in store for the years to come as well as we, as we think they're going to be competitive. So we'll get Zach's thoughts on that as well. Coming up next, though, I want to dig into uh, an article that Rob Domovsky wrote specifically about the end of Ted Thompson's era and, and his reign as general manager of this Packers team. It's really insightful. It's really well done, and I'm going to share some of those details and some opinions as well. Coming up next on the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY. I am your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you're having a good night. Uh, not that I'm trying to ruin anybody's mood uh, by talking about a negative subject. We do have to talk a little bit, and I'm actually really excited to get into this. Uh, Rob Domovsky released an article on Wednesday about the final couple years of Ted Thompson's tenure. And if at any point you want to text in a thought about what we're talking about, 608-796-2558, the five-star telecom talk and text line. You never want to forget about that. Rob Domovsky releasing an article on ESPN. I retweeted it on my key, on my Twitter account, at Keystroker Grant, and it is really well done. It is an article that combines a little bit of opinion, a little bit of research, a little bit of anecdotal evidence as well. It's a good mix, and it's an entertaining read. It's not just blood and guts. It's not just numbers. Uh, and it's all about the, well, the, the article is called Packers Paying Price Now for Ted Thompson's Last Three Drafts. So I, I think we we get something wrong about the Packers in relation to the rest of the NFL. We know that the Packers are a draft and develop team, and that's the message that we've heard, I mean, all, all the way through Ted Thompson's tenure. And for the most part, he's been very, very successful. He's brought in a key agent, a key free agent here and there, but it's been few and far between. And, and mostly the Packers have done their building through the draft. And as Packer fans and as football watchers, we act like that's out of the ordinary, right? Like that's not what other teams do. Other teams use free agents and trades and, and, and the Packers just strictly go with homegrown talent. Well, that's not really the case. Every team in the NFL should be building their core of talent through the draft. And if they're not, they're not doing very well. If you can't draft good players, you're going to have a bad time. You might say, well, we can trade for good players. Well, what are you going to trade? <laughs> if you don't have any good players to trade, what are you going to get back in return? If you don't have any good draft picks and you don't have to handle them, nobody's going to want picks because they are a crapshoot of sorts. So every team has to build their young nucleus of talent through the draft. And then, of course, they re-sign them uh, as they mature and they come of, of age and skill into the league. So I, Green Bay is not on an island by themselves in terms of building their team through the draft. That's what basically every team does in the NFL. Need to build talent through the draft. And I think that's where we got it confused and, and we may have gotten complacent in how the Packers handled their business, especially through 2014 to 2015 through the end of Ted Thompson's tenure last winter. Basically, Rob Domofsky breaks this down, and, and it starts with a description of T.J. Watt versus Kevin King. And this is an argument and a discussion that will be had for the next probably five years. The decision that Ted Thompson make, made in his last draft to take Kevin King, to trade back a couple of picks, leave T.J. Watt on the board, a pass rusher, a dynamic pass rusher from the state, which 
for me as an afterthought, but from the state who immediately addressed a position of need to trade back, gain extra draft capital down the line and pick up Kevin King a couple of plays later. That is the move that Ted Thompson's going to be remembered for. And as it continues to play out, look, Kevin King's a good corner. He's got a high ceiling. He hasn't stayed healthy, but when he has been healthy, he'd look, he's looked like a good player. But TJ Watt has been something else. I think he's going to be a Pro Bowl player here in the near future. And, you know, that sequence of moves made by Ted Thompson in his last draft, I think, is a huge microcosm of the last couple drafts of his career. Now, those three drafts, those last three drafts, let's say 2015 to 2017 and 18, should be the nucleus for this team. They should serve as the heart. You, you should look down the roster and see a lot of guys from those three years. Instead, there are only four full-time starters. Kevin King, who's often injured and hasn't really... I don't want to say he hasn't been dependable, but he has not been there every game. When he's in there, he's good, but he's been out a lot. Kenny Clark, linebacker Blake Martinez, the fourth-round pick, and, of course, whatever running back they start, if it's Jamal Williams, Aaron Jones, or Ty Montgomery, who are they're good players. They're not world beaters. At least Aaron Jones haven't, hasn't been given the opportunity uh, to, you know, to be a world beater. So what I look at this list and say, yeah, Blake Martinez is a good player. I think as Packer fans, we overvalue Blake Martinez just a bit. I'm not going to lie. He's a good player. He also missed three tackles against San Francisco, and he's not very good in coverage. We see the flashy tackle numbers, but but that's not all there is to the story. Blake Martinez is a good rotational player. He's not a pro bowler. He's not an earth-shattering player who's going to make plays to change games most of the time. So for me, I look at those four guys and say Kenny Clark is the only Super above average player you got. He's the only player in those three drafts who has a chance to be a superstar. That's only one player. That's all we got. One damn hit. <laughs> that's actually it's actually pretty accurate. Yeah, only one hit. Only really one strong hit, and that's Kenny Clark. Now there's more to be written in the book of Kevin King. Don't get me wrong, but as of right now, only one superstar or budding superstar, as we see now, has come out of those three drafts. That's all we got. One damn hit. Exactly. And that's pretty poor compared to the rest of the league. Now, these statistics say the Packers have four full-time starters when Kevin King is healthy and whichever running back they choose to go to from the 2015, 2016, and 2017 drafts. The Packers have four. There's only two teams in the league who have fewer, and one is the Raiders, due to mostly in part trading Khalil Mack and trading Amari Cooper in the, in the last couple of weeks and months for Khalil Mack, which is why they're so low, and the Tennessee Titans who they're not exactly the model of, of excellence and, and of superiority in the AFC. Don't get me wrong. Packers not looking very good in those couple of years. And, and Brian Gutekids could make a good draft last spring. Let's say last April's draft goes tremendously. That doesn't necessarily mean that's going to translate to success this year or maybe even next year. Players take a little bit of time to come of age and to come of skill in the NFL. And that's why there is such a, a drastic lacking of really good young talent in that defense. Yeah, Kentrell Bryce could be a good rotational player. He's not who you want as your starting safety. Haha, Clinton Dix is okay. He's from the, the 2014 draft. Yeah, he's good. But who, who else they got? They have nobody. Mike Daniels is good. He's, he's from a couple of years back as well. There's no young studs. You look at the Minnesota defense, a lot of homegrown talent. That has come of age. And great example for Minnesota, the Packers in 2015, <clears throat> choosing Demarius Randall in the first round, who was a safety, now not on the team, and Quentin Rollins, who was a basketball player for most of his career to play corner. He wasn't a corner for very long, and now he's out of the league with an injury settlement. Meanwhile, the Vikings take Anthony Barr in the first round, and Eric Hendricks in the second round. Two really solid players who have been making plays for them for the last couple of years. Then the year later, Josh Jones in the second round, 
the safety, obviously. And he can't get on the field past Kentrell Bryce. Kentrell Bryce, the undrafted rookie at the time. Still an undrafted player. And he, a healthy Josh Jones taken in the second round cannot get on the field. Montrevious Adams is another great example. Dean Lowry's beating him out. Lancaster had more snaps than him off the practice squad last week. Or two weeks ago at home against the 49ers. Vince Beagle is out of the league after one year. Not out of the league, off of the team. Brian Gutekinds just didn't give, him a, didn't give him a second shot. Didn't even want him on the practice squad. He said, yeah, I've seen all I need. You're out, you're out of here. Man, oh man, oh man. And, and, and a great example here in this article that Rob Domofsky laments about is one pick after Josh Jones, the Steelers took receiver Juju Smith-Schuster, who's been a Pro Bowl-level player. And after that, the Saints grabbed Alvin Kamara, who was the offensive rookie of the year last year. There's talent to be had. Ted Thompson swung and missed repeatedly for three years straight. And now you look at this team, and there's no young superstar talent. They got Randall Cobb and Devontae Adams on offense. Those are good guys. But there's no young, talented offensive lineman. Jason Spriggs didn't pan out. Bakhtiari's been there. Uh, Brian Bulag is the aging veteran. Corey Lindsley's been there. Where's the influx of younger players who are supposed to be coming in to replace these aging veterans? Cheaper, more reliable, and possibly more talented because you're always trying to upgrade, right? There's no young talent on this team. There's a player here and there. There's Kenny Clark. There you go. I think Geronimo Allison was a good find. But I think the, the chances of him becoming a superstar are slim to none. Ted Thompson's only gem in those three years was Kenny Clark. He was the one hit, the one superstar hit that he had, assuming that Kenny Clark continues to that's progress. That's all we got, one damn hit? Yeah. That sums it up. That sums it up really well. Kenny Clark, Kenny Clark, by the way, yet to make a Pro Bowl, and I don't, I don't weigh Pro Bowl super heavily, but, you know, we all talk about how he's a Pro Bowl level talent. Well, we'll see. Can he make a Pro Bowl? I, I like Kenny Clark. I think he's a great player. But, uh, yeah, not a lot of talent. No young talent. And, and, the, and the importance is of drafting well is then those players can come up, right? Let's say Jason Spriggs, for example, pans out, and he turns out to be a very talented uh, lineman who lives up to the hype and can play right tackle at a high level. Well, now the Packers have the option to say, all right, Brian Bulaga, thank you for your service. We're going to move on. We're not going to give you that final contract. We're going to go with Jason Spriggs, who's younger, less injury-prone, and way cheaper. Because Brian Gutekunst is not Ted Thompson in the fact that he's been a little bit more aggressive in terms of signing people like Bashad Breeland and like Muhammad Wilkerson and Jimmy Graham. He's willing to go out and help the team when he has the money and he has the availability and space on the roster. But because no young, talented players are coming up to supplant and, and to scoot guys like Brian Bulaga out the door, and, and they're playing Tremont Williams at cornerback, there's no guys to usher in the next generation of players, which means you're spending more, you're getting less reliable players because of injury, and you're not getting, you're not moving on, you're not getting better, you're just staying the same. And that's why those drafts, man, those drafts hurt. And this article does such a good job. I retweeted it on my uh, account, at Keystroker Grant, and you can figure it out. Now, the rebuilding job with with Brian Gutekunst is set to begin, but you can only do so much in a year. And they're going to have some options to make. Now, Jair Alexander, Josh Jackson, Valdez Scantling, excuse me, and Equinemia St. Brown, they look like players so far. They look like good picks. They do. But there's time to, there's, there's, you know, still time to be left. We need to see more. You can't just have one or two games. So we'll see uh, how, how Gudikins continues along down the line. But, but these past three drafts have handcuffed him. And that's why I think that uh, Brian Gudikins, instead of, picking it wherever their pick was. Was it at 14? Trades back a little bit because I think Gutekunst looked at this roster and said, we have no up-and-comers. We have no budding superstars. 
I'm going to trade back. I'm going to get an extra first round pick next year because that offer is just too good to pass up. And we're going to have more bites out of the apple. We're not going to trade out of the first round and into the fourth round. We're just going to move down a bit and we're going to accumulate talent of which we have none. Now, if the Packers were one player away, like maybe the Saints thought they were. Sure, put it on the line, go for that one player and try to compete now. But I think Brian Gittikins knew after being in that room for three years. And by the way, there's some 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 slighted comments taken at Ted Thompson from some unnamed sources in the Packers front office in this article in terms of some of those picks that he made in his last couple of drafts. Lancaster's getting more snaps than Adams. Bryce is seeing the field. Josh Jones can't get on the field. Not good picks. Not good picks the last couple of years. And that is really hurting this Packers team right now. And I, and I truly believe that Brian Gutekinds takes a different approach because I think he is skeptical of the Packers' ability to perform this year. I, I really do. That's not me being negative. I, I just, those years kill the Packers. And they're going to continue to kill the Packers until Gutekinds can get a shot in the arm in terms of talent and, and young, young talent, most importantly, on this team. When we come back here on the Wisco Sports Show, we're going to talk to Zach Heilprin, sports director at The Zone in Madison, our sister station, not only about his coverage of the Brewers the last couple of weeks, but we'll check in on the Badgers. What do we think of them going forward? What do we think of their game so far? What do we think of Alex Hornibrook, that offensive line? We're going to break down it all. Coming up next on the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY. I'm your host, Grant Bills, 96.7 FM, 580 AM. However you're listening, thanks for joining in. Hope you're having a good evening. Next, we're going to be joined by Zach Heilprin, sports director on our sister station over in Madison. Covers the Badgers, covers Brewers. You're doing it all. Uh, Zach, how's your Thursday going? Doing great. That's good to hear. I wanted to ask you, you were traveling with the Brewers. Were you out in L.A. with the team, or did you did you stay home? Yeah, no, I, I, I went out to L.A. for... Uh, four days. It was really rough, obviously, uh, but somebody had to do it, and I volunteered, so I got to go out there. Yeah, so what are your thoughts now that the series over? Look, they, they I think they exceeded expectations, no doubt. They came within a game of the World Series. How do we feel about this team after you've had a couple of days and I've had a couple of days to sit down after the series and reflect on the season? What are your thoughts after getting to cover this playoff run? Yeah, you know, I think everyone, as they talked about right after the game on uh, on Saturday night is it's going to sting. This is going to sting for a while, certainly because of how close you were able to get, and you're only a game away from the World Series. You had everything set up perfectly, as they said. You, know, you got Justine, who had been uh, fantastic. You had Hater available. Had pretty much everybody ready to go, and you're at home, and you played so well at home, and to not have it, uh, to not get it done, certainly had to be a disappointment. But I think we can all agree that they are ahead of schedule, right? I mean, I think there's a lot of people that thought maybe this this would be a possibility next year, or the year after, is this rebuild. Uh, under uh, David Stearns, you know, had, has come. and But, you know, now we're a few days out. I think you have to – it's obviously a very big positive season. You win the Central, you come back and take the Central from the Cubs, you get to where you were. It is a positive season, and there's a lot to grow on. I mean, I know that, you know, there's people that are all upset that you have to capitalize when you're there, and there's no doubt about that. But I don't think this is going to be a situation in 2000 – like, you know, in 2011 for, uh, you know, where you had a – that was it, you know. You, yeah. you pretty much you, had, you had put a, pushed a lot of your chips to the middle. Um, they didn't do that this time, and so I think that they have, you know, a, a bright future ahead. And I don't think that this is a situation where we're only going to be talking about this team in the playoffs one year. I think it's going to be, um, it's not going to be a seven-year wait before they get back. There is a, there is a definite different feeling this year than than 2008 and 2011. I will say that for sure, and I'm, I'm excited for the years to come. Uh, I, I do want to get into Badgers with you. Uh, it's been a while since we've talked. The Badgers are now five and two. 
with a loss to BYU and a loss to Michigan, and the Michigan loss didn't really surprise me, I'll be completely honest. At 5-2, and two, what are our just overarching thoughts about this team? It's kind of a tough team to put my thumb on right now. Yeah, it's been all over the place. I don't think there's a consistent, <laughs> a consistent team. I don't know if we've seen the real... You know, I shouldn't say that. I, I think we have seen the real Badgers, and it's a group that is up and down, and you know, yeah. really know which one you're going to get. Kind of Jekyll and Hyde at times, but they have not been the team I thought that they were going to be. Certainly defensively, you thought they may have some early struggles simply because of all the guys they had to replace. But I thought offensively they'd make up for it. You know, when you bring ten guys back off that team, that that uh, starting group a year ago, and you saw what they did in the Orange Bowl, and you're expecting that to kind of uh, move in. And I, I was totally off base. I said they were going to score 40 points a game, and they, they've struggled. They've struggled mightily offensively yeah. to get on track. And whether that's the offensive line being beat up towards the beginning of the season, maybe they just weren't as good as we thought they were. Um, I think you can point to a lot of different aspects, but it all obviously comes back, you know, and, and fair or not, comes back to Alice Hornibrook and um, you know what we saw in the Orange Bowl. Uh, I think paid too much attention to and maybe not enough attention to what we saw in the Big Ten Championship game against Ohio State where he struggled and the offense struggled. So, And as good as Ohio State was, and they're fantastic, um, you know, that may be more about who Alex is as opposed to what we saw in the Orange Bowl. Well, while we're on the topic, why don't we talk Alex Hornibrook? I, I can't figure him out. I, I, I'm not willing to say that he's good because of the Orange Bowl and because of the BYU game over a year ago now and simply put up with the bad the bad Alex Hornibrook, knowing that he can also be good, I, I, I think consistency is what makes a quarterback valuable. Where do we sit with Alex Hornibrook? I know I'm just asking you these big-picture questions, but it's because I, I can't really put my fingers on it. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, probably should talk about the, the short term here with him. Um, it's looking... Um, there's a report uh, from Bill Scott and the Wisconsin uh, Radio Network this morning, and I talked with Bill about it, too, uh, that... Uh, Alex is uh, not going to be available on Saturday to play against Northwestern, dealing with a concussion, um, uh, reportedly a concussion. Uh, there's been no confirmation out of UW, but uh, all signs are pointing towards him not playing on Saturday, at wow. least being questionable for that game, and that means Jack Cohn would get the start. So that short term, we may get a very good idea of uh, exactly how good Alex Hornibrick is uh, because we'll get to see another guy in his spot uh, against Northwestern in a, in a huge, huge matchup for Wisconsin if they have any hopes of winning the Big Ten West and then obviously getting them in winning the Big Ten. So that that's where things start stand there. And with Alex in general, big picture-wise for him, um, I feel like he it's, I don't think he's regressed. And I don't think he's a below-average quarterback. I think he's been solid. I think he's been you know, average. Um, and for a team that has ambitions of going and playing the college football playoffs and wanting to win a Big Ten and potentially win a, big, a national championship, you need more than that. And with as much talent as I believe that they have on offense, for them to struggle with the way, the way they have been, um, that, a lot of that goes to the quarterback. So big picture, I don't think he's – I personally do not think he's good enough for them uh, if they want to win at, at the highest levels. And he's been – you know, he's won a lot of games – but I don't think he has it. I don't think he has enough to be able to take them over the top. And I wouldn't have said that at the beginning of the year. But I think because um, I thought he would, he had really. I thought he was going to take another step. Thought he was going to make a jump, and he hasn't done it. Yeah, I, th- I think we were all waiting to see a jump or improvement, even if it was just slight. And, and that's shocking. I didn't know anything about that. So that's definitely something to watch. And, and thanks for the the scoop there. I want to ask about the offensive line and Jonathan Taylor too, because what I thought and, and from what we talked about on this program a couple of weeks ago, this offensive line was the best in the country and, and a lot of good draft, draft prospects. And in my mind, if you have that offensive line and even somebody who's 
in the Heisman conversation, let alone a, a finalist like Jonathan Taylor, you should be able to get by on that alone a lot of the times. Why has that group not looked as dominant as I think they probably should so far? Yeah, you know what? Their numbers are kind of their numbers are better than they were last year, at least you know wow. so far. I mean, Jonathan Taylor is averaging. He was at 6.6 last year. He's at 6.5 this year. Taiwan deals over 6 yards a carry. Garrett Groshek's over 6 yards a carry. I think at the beginning of the year, because they missed so much time during fall camp, um, and maybe I, they're not the tough guys to read their own press clippings, but I think you know maybe some of that attention uh, got to them a little bit, maybe got in their heads a little bit. Um, but, you know, David, uh, David Edwards um, was dealing with a shoulder injury through the first couple of weeks and, and was not playing at his level. And, you know, I think it was, it, it, they still really haven't decided on a left tackle yet. We've seen John Eaton in there. We've seen Cole Van Lannan. So it's been, I think, some moving pieces. Um, I think, but I, I do think in the last few weeks we've seen steps. We've seen growth. Um, they certainly were able to run the ball against Iowa, and then they uh, had a big game against Nebraska. Had the game not gotten out of control, or maybe someone had decided to, to run, call a few more run plays against Michigan. Maybe things are different there, but they yeah. ran the ball against Michigan as well. And then last week, um, you know, against Illinois, had no problems running the ball there either. So I think the offensive line is starting to, to gel, and I think uh, they're going to be able to, especially this week against Northwestern and potentially, you know, starting Jack Cohn, you're going to have to rely on them. And I think um, they're at the point now where I think you can. I, I do think they've made a strides, and they do have a lot of talent. And I think they're certainly getting to that point where um, – we thought they may be at the beginning of the year. Sure. Well, so maybe that offensive line, they just don't look as dominant as they should, but the numbers and, and the results are, are supporting that. Uh, Zach, well, Alper- that's, oh, go ahead. And, that, and that's because I don't think Jonathan Taylor's had like those huge, huge explosive runs that yeah. we saw last year. Like those have been few and far between. Now we saw, uh, obviously, a, a one of them, you know, against Nebraska, but like for the most part, they have not been there. And so that, I think, maybe when you see big runs, you you think domination and explosion, but it, it takes just it takes more than the offensive line. I'll say that, but um, I would agree with you in the idea that they have not played at the level that we all thought they were going to throughout the year. But I think they may be getting there. Sure, absolutely. That that makes a lot of sense. Zach Heilprin from the Zone in Madison joining us. I, I wanted to ask you about Evanston because this was a place where the Badgers just couldn't win for the longest time. Now I've never been there. I've, I've looked at pictures. I've read about it. I, I feel like. I have a good idea of what it's like. I mean, it looks like a glorified high school stadium. What are your thoughts yeah. on Evanston? And I, I couldn't tell if that was a laugh or if that was just a scoff, but I did want to talk that about that a, a little that bit. That was an ugh. That was yeah. an ugh. <laughs> you know, uh, I hate Evanston. Um, I shouldn't say hate. Hate's a strong word. I'm, I'm not a fan of Evanston. I don't, like, it's just, a, it's a weird environment. They have that, they have this stupid little wildcat roar every time anything, something goes well. Oh, yeah. It plays over the PA, and it's just, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it just sounds, it's annoying. You know, like every each every team has their little annoying thing. I'm sure everyone gets tired about the first intent Wisconsin thing that happens at Camp Randall. Yeah. And, you know, you have the the horn uh, in in Minnesota and, and the you know go pack go chant in Green Bay. And like, everyone has their things that people hear and it's like that's just just stop it. That's annoying. Um, but the stadium itself, yes, it's it's obviously the the smallest and the you know the least impressive out of anything in the Big Ten that I've been to and I've been to almost all of now. Um, but the, the football stadium is royalty compared to what what the basketball arena used to be. The basketball arena, like it had two concession stands, two bathrooms. Like you, it was that was that was truly uh, looked like a high school. The football and just the environment at um, the environment at the football games is horrible. Um, you know, you have to bring your own energy. It's quiet. Uh, and it, even when Northwestern's been good, it's not that tough of a place to play. But for whatever reason, Wisconsin has really struggled there. They won in 2016, but before that, 
They hadn't won there since 1999. It's been a house of horrors. Something always seems to pop up. The weather always seems to be horrible. Um, and, uh, you know, Northwestern, for the most part, has played Wisconsin good. They just, they've been a thorn in the side, whether it's been at Camp Randall or whether it's been down there. It's uh it's not an easy team to play, and it's it's a weird place to play. I give that program a lot of credit for what they have to deal with now in basketball, too, that they've been good the last couple of years, that it's always impressive that they can compete and give Wisconsin a handful. Let's Before I let you go, Zach, I want to take a peek at the last couple of games. They do have Northwestern, they have Rutgers at home, and then they have to go to Happy Valley, to Purdue, and then host Minnesota at home. Look, now I'm not trying to be overly optimistic or overly negative, but I see a strong possibility for three losses in the final game. I mean, at Purdue and at Penn State are obviously both really tough, and then at Northwestern is never a given. Is that out of bounds for me to think yeah. that they could lose three of five? You are yeah, that is that is the pessimist view for sure. Sure, um, but hey, I I can I can see that. Like I I don't think they'll win at Penn State. I don't think there's a chance they'll win at Penn State. I do think you know even without I, I maybe have to change my opinion after uh, you know we'll see what happens at quarterback and they're missing a ton of defensive guys this week too yeah. not going to have scott nelson not going to have dakota likely not going to have dakota dixon or olive song so it's just gonna it's gonna be a mess and you're likely gonna have to outscore northwestern and you know we'll see i, I this this game and the purdue game are certainly i think toss-ups uh especially after what we saw purdue do to uh, ohio state yeah. but I, I'm, you know, I'm. I have said, I said all year. I think they're going to go nine and three, and you know, I guess eight four wouldn't be a huge prize either now. But um, I still think that they find a way somehow, some way to go four and one down the stretch here and play the Big Ten title game. But um, that is just uh, me wanting to be right about the, the record. So um, <laughs> more sure. than anything else, because uh, they're toss ups. I have no idea what's going to happen Saturday. I mean, we just we don't know. And Purdue. No idea. I, the only game that I, the only three games I know what's going to happen. I know they're going to rock Rutgers. I know they're going to beat Minnesota because that's what they do. Yep. And I know they're going to lose at Penn State because that's just an extremely tough place to play, and that's a good team over there. But the other two, it's, they're toss-ups right now. Yeah, they are, and, and it's going to be fascinating to watch this team down the stretch. Zach, I'm actually going to be in Madison tomorrow night. Uh, Lacrosse Central coming over to play Monona Grove, and I'm going to be on the call for that game. I'm going to stay for the weekend. I'm not going to see you at Freak Fest in some crazy costume, am I? <laughs> You will not. You will not. In Freak Fest, are you, are you going to Freak Fest? I am, yep. I'll be down there. Uh, you're too young to, what, uh, to know what Halloween used to be <laughs> on State Street. State Street and Halloween, it's, it's tame now. Now, if you look back about 15 years, that's when, that's when uh, Halloween at State Street was, was, really, uh, was really fun um, and led to a lot of... I won't even go there. I'm not even going to go there. But a lot of good fun uh, down on State Street, and I'm sure you'll have a lot of fun down there, too, but... Uh, it's tame compared to what it used to be. That's a great message and information you're not getting anywhere else. Thanks, Zach. You're the man. I hope we talk soon. Thanks. Yep, Zach Heilprin from The Zone in Madison, our sister station. And I always appreciate when he hops on. And he's a guy, college sports are tough. You know, we can watch the games on TV, we can read, but there's another element in not only recruiting and in coaching, there's just different levels to college sports that are tough to cover from afar. So it's awesome to be able to get him to chime in. Alex Hornibrook unlikely to play on Saturday? Is, is that breaking news? Is Am I breaking news on the show? No, I guess Zach was breaking the news, but that's pretty wild. So uh, appearing like Jack Cohen might get the start on Saturday. Nothing, like Zach said, nothing per UW, but uh, but multiple reports and multiple reliable reports. You don't, you're not on the beat for that long in Madison uh, without being able to tell a good source from a bad. So Zach, uh, Zach hanging it out there today on the Wisco Sports Show, and I definitely appreciate him. You can follow him on Twitter at Zach Heilprin, and you definitely should. Uh, and you, you caught his sense of humor at the end, which I'm always glad. We're not going to see Zach at, at Freak Fest. But if, for whatever reason, 
and, and he was, you know, he was lying to us. I, I will get a picture and you can follow uh, that on Twitter at Keystroker Grant. So good stuff. I want to talk a little bit of Packers preview and you're going to hear from Mike McCarthy. I'm not going to indoctrinate you and I'm not going to force you to listen to 15 minutes of a press conference. What I'm going to do is there's a really funny sound bite from his Wednesday press conference, uh, yesterday's press conference regarding the line of this game. And, you know, in a time where we're becoming frustrated with Mike McCarthy, uh, it's it's easy to, to start hating him. This will make you this this warmed my soul and and gave Mike McCarthy a place in my heart that I did not have uh, a week ago. So that's something to say. Uh, also, we're going to chime in people some uh, sharing some thoughts on the five star telecom talking text line. We'll get to all that as we wrap up the show next here on WKTY. You're listening to the Wisco Sports Show with me, your host, Grant Bills. Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY with me, your host, Grant Bills. However you're listening, wherever you're listening, hope you're having a fantastic Thursday. And as we look into the weekend, we some really good stuff on the program today. I always like talking to Zach, and he brought it today. Alex Hornibrook might not play this weekend with a concussion, uh, and, and I have not seen that anywhere else. I have not heard that from anyone else. Nothing per UW, as Zach said, but, uh, but some good sources and some sources close to him say that Alex Hornibrook is out, and Jack Cohen's probably going to start due to a concussion uh, to Hornybrook on Saturday. So, for those of you who want to see Jack Cohn, uh, now's your time. M- make sure you're tuning in on uh, on Saturday. We do go to the five-star telecom talking text line, 608-796-2558. Trent chimes in. And Trent, I'm sorry I didn't get to this sooner um, because the show's been flying by today. We had a lot to say about Ted Thompson and his drafts earlier and that Domovsky piece. And then we had to talk to Zach, and now I finally have a chance to get to this. He says, you're right about the draft picks. Why does no one else see this? Just speaking on the offensive side of the ball, it's hard to believe that of three first-round picks, you would end up with one single running back, wide receiver, or tight end. It's rare, that, and it's what blows my mind about teams that trade top-notch players away for fifth-round picks. Thanks. Trent, I, I could not agree more, and your last statement is so true. And it's crazy that teams trade away difference-making players. Heck, even Khalil Mack for two first-round picks. The chances of the Raiders getting a player of Khalil Mack's caliber back with either one of those picks is incredibly low. The draft is such a crapshoot, right? You don't know. And it's not like, okay, here, we have this great player. We're going to trade him away for a pick, and we'll just replace him with that pick. It's not how it works. Players are so much more valuable than picks, and that's why you have to hit on at least some of them. You're going to miss. You are absolutely going to miss. There's not a general manager out there. Um, uh, excuse me for not remembering. Ron Wolf, the GM uh, for the Packers in the 90s, he missed on plenty of first-round picks, plenty of picks in general. But it's the ones that you hit on, and you have to you know, strategically hit on some here and there to keep your team afloat with good talent and, and good young talent bubbling up through the ranks. Otherwise, your team is going to start to go downward or just sit flat and therefore be surpassed by other teams that are ascending. So I couldn't agree more, Trent. Thanks for chiming in. Don't be a stranger. Text back and call back anytime. To wrap up the show today, I do want to hear from Mike McCarthy because the Packers are the largest underdogs of Aaron Rodgers' career. They're a 9.5-point underdogs, 10-point favorites in, in some books, 9.5 in most uh, for you gamblers out there. And uh, Mike McCarthy was asked about, uh, uh, excuse me, about the spread and what he thought. We all remember Mike McCarthy's line of, you know, we're nobody's underdog a couple of years ago. And the reporter wanted to ask about that. What do you think? It, it went pretty much as you expect, but Mike McCarthy... Uh, rarely shows a smile, shows some humor, and, and it was much needed in this week of, of being sad about the Brewers and frustrated about the Packers as well. Here you go. You had, excuse me, you had a pretty good line a couple years ago about being nobody's underdog. Um, do you guys care at all? Is that any talking point at all that you're, you're relatively big underdog heading into this? No, I, I don't. I have not addressed it. Um, you know, obviously, when you get into those types of things, I think it's just it's, it's best to avoid it, you know. 
I mean, there's a pretty strict gambling policy still in place in the NFL. So, what is the line, Bill? <laughs> ten. Ten, well. So, you take it? <laughs> I, I, I lost all my money on the Mega Millions yesterday, so I'm, I'm flat broke. Well, took a shot, though. Yeah, we all lost all our money on the Mega Millions. I can say that. But it was nice to see Mike McCarthy, a little bit of a smile. And I wish I could show you the video. Uh, that's one downside of radio. And, and I wish I could show you the video because Mike McCarthy's face in this is just priceless. And his tone, one more time. What is the line, Bill? About oh, ten. Ten, wow. Well. Wow. So you take it. <laughs> that's just, that's fantastic. And, and I actually saw that this morning. I was, you know, I was trying to put together the show this morning. It was about 9 a.m. And I was you know, filtering through some press conferences, you know, looking at what questions were asked, because sometimes, you know, there's a topic to be to be talked about, but you just need something to you need a kicking off point. Right. And then this answer was exactly that. The Packers are nine and a half point underdogs. The reporter actually had it wrong. Nine and a half in most books, maybe 10 in the book he checked, but nine and a half in most uh, popular betting books. And that is the largest uh, underdog that Aaron Rodgers and this Packers team has been since Aaron Rodgers came into the league. And well, since he started starting in 2008, and uh, Mike McCarthy shedding some much-needed humor on the subject. I, I think, look, and, and most people are, are picking the Packers to cover. I think a 10-point spread is rather large, especially with the Packers coming off the bye. And, and we talked the other day, and, and you listeners chimed in, and, and we're in agreement that with the exception of the last couple of years, precisely, I think, two years, two or three years maybe, and, and maybe that goes hand-in-hand hand with the fact that Ted Thompson had some really miserable drafts in those years. And maybe that's coincided, and, and the show's just put into one ni- nice, neat little bundle with a bow around it today because of that. But with the exception of the last couple of years, Mike McCarthy's has been damn near unstoppable coming off the bye. Uh, early in Aaron Rodgers' career, that 2010 to 2014 run, with, of course, the exception of the year where Aaron Rodgers went down with an injury, Aaron or Mike McCarthy used to be that guy where you give him uh, an extra week to scheme, good luck. Because he was great off the bye. He always had his teams in great uh, positions to compete. And, and I think due to, in part, the fact that he's so good at self-scouting. And that's something that he's been preaching about and he's been doing is you don't start to scout the Rams until, you know, game week, until the actual game. You give yourself a, a week for the Rams. But at that point, you can sit down and scout yourself. You can look at yourself and, and see what you have done extensively and sit down and watch, watch a lot of film of what the Packers have done so far this year. And, and I think that's very, very helpful. And now we might see some new things. We might see some creativity or some formations or or some tendencies that have been few and far between in the first couple of games because Mike McCarthy now has some extended time to realize what worked, what didn't, and what he needs to do going forward. So I I do think the Packers will cover this game unless there's an injuries or things just really get out of hand. If this game, you know, is competitive in any sense, I think the Packers will cover that nine and a half point spread due to in part that they're coming off the bye. And, and with the exception of Aaron Rodgers right now, they're the healthiest they've been all year. Of course, minus Muhammad Wilkerson and Aaron Rodgers still with that knee brace. But the Packers are in a really good spot right now. Everybody who has been injured uh, practice this week and Bashad Breeland looks like he could make his Packers debut, which is just another piece to add into that rotation in an already deep secondary safety group is something else. But the cornerback group should look to have a lot of healthy bodies, both experienced and young and talented and up and coming. So uh, a lot of good, exciting things that would lead you to believe the Packers will cover. If they're going to win outright, now that's a complete different story. And uh, and we'll you know obviously have our eyes on the game on Sunday to see if that is the case. I think, number one, if you let Todd Gurley and that Rams offense gash you running the ball like the Niners did two weeks ago, good luck. That's the game. Because that's all they would need to do. Todd Gurley is that good. I know. He was my first overall pick in fantasy, and I've been watching him all year. He is a beast. He can catch the ball. He can run the ball. And he is a lot better than Matt Breida and whoever else the 49ers rolled out against them two weeks ago on Monday night. So you have to have... 
play that into effect as well. And once they get that play action going, and Mike McCarthy alluded to this in his press conference, and I don't need to play the replay for it. You guys are smart. You know what Mike sounds like. You probably can picture what his answer sounded like. They run to set up the pass. Jared Goff is not a super athletic quarterback. He's not incredibly dynamic. He does what he needs to in that stand in the pocket and complete passes. He's gotten better and he's made huge strides in the last couple of years. But this is a run first team with some good down the field weapons that are set up by that running game. So if the Packers can't stop the run, good luck. I mean, you might as well just watch the Badgers on Saturday and call it good. Because if Todd Gurley comes out and runs for 200 plus yards or 150 plus yards, that's it. Now, on the offensive side of the ball, we'll see what the Packers are capable of. Uh, the Rams' defense is a little bit depleted, especially in the secondary, so we'll see if they can take advantage of that. Looking forward to that game, of course, on Monday. We'll keep talking about that next week, obviously. Uh, tomorrow night, Lacrosse Central goes to Monona Grove. I will be there calling the game with Drew Kelly. You can not only stream that game and listen to that game right here on WKTY, but you can stream the video at WKTYsports.com and on our mobile app as well. What a show. What a week. Thanks for being a part of it. I will be back on Monday. Badger Roundtable and Lacrosse Central football tomorrow. I'll talk to you Monday. Have a good weekend, everybody.